God of compassion and justice and truth, who from the before the beginning has always been heaven. We honor, we glorify, we worship your holy and sacred name. Your kingdom come to earth, not a kingdom of men, of our making, not a worldly kingdom, one and held by acts of war, or by by politics and popularity polls, but your kingdom, your kingdom of of peace. And let your will be done on earth. Your will. Not what we think your will is. Might be, should be. Not what we want, hope for, wish for, or even pray for. But your will be done here. On the earth. In our lives. In our families. In our homes. In our midst. As it is done perfectly and always in your presence in the heavenly places. Give us today our daily bread. Through your hand of provision. You give us what we need for the day. And forgive us our debts. The debt of sin we owe. The debt of sin we couldn't pay. The debt of love we can't repay. The debt of sin you can't pass. Forgive us as we have also forgiven our debtors. By that same measure, forgive us. By our willingness to forgive the wrongdoings of others against us. Forgive us by that measure. And lead us not to things that tempt us. Lead us to a place where we rest in you. So that we can be like you, a friend of sinners, yet without sin. And deliver us from the evil one. The stealer of souls. The destroyer of life. The enemy of peace. For yours, and yours alone, is the kingdom. The real kingdom. The kingdom of peace. And to you alone is power and authority. For only you are worthy of the glory. The honor, the majesty, do your name. May it be so forever and ever. So be it. So be it as you have willed it. So be it. As As we we agree agree together together on it. So be it in this kingdom and the next. Amen. was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Uh, what a way to write out the Lord's Prayer. That was written by Debbie. Debbie, thank you for writing it. And ladies, what a wonderful job of showing us what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer this morning. Well, before we start, uh, I, I want to talk about one thing, and that is this, is that uh, I, th- I think John pointed out, and our team pointed out something important this morning, that that what we can bring back from a mission trip is that our place, our community, is a place of mission. And so I want to once again thank you as a gen- for being a generous church. This week we had volunteers join us down at Edna Keith Elementary, our new partnered school. And during that time they, they gave just a couple hours to go and walk kids from, from their class to pictures. Now, we may not think that's a big deal, but here's what I noticed about the picture time. Maybe about four or five kids out of a classroom of 20 could afford to have pictures. So we were able to to provide for that classroom a, a seamless transition for them to get pictures while the teacher could stay there and continue to teach. 
But I, my mind has been thinking this week that as we begin to take on these community projects and we're trying to do more about the manpower than less about, and less about the money, but it broke my heart to watch only four out of these 20 kids get pictures. Man, and I begin to think, what would it look like if, if we not only gave of our time, but what if we as a church sponsored each child? If, if one of us took a child and said, I'll pay for your picture. I mean, it almost is a privilege some of those kids. And so, anyway, I want to thank you this morning for for continuing the mission here at home. That's it's extremely important. So, thank you. And by the way, there are more opportunities this week for you to partner with our school. If you go online, if you go on our community tab or our community website, you'll find those specific event, events. You can sign up for them online. You can register for those. And um, if, you're, if you don't have internet or, or online capabilities, just call the office and let Debbie know that you'd like to be a part of those projects. Well, this morning, um, I have to give a confession. I hate flying. I hate flying. Does anybody else hate flying? Yes, we have a few people, right? Uh, I've been thinking about this. Listen, I have flown all over the world. I've, I've I've spent a lot of time in a plane, maybe not as much as some of you have, but I've spent time in a plane. And so you would think that I'd I'd get used to an 18-inch seat and breathing in millions of germs while I ride in a tube over 500 miles an hour. Meanwhile, someone I never met is uh, maneuvering me over 40,000 feet above the earth. I mean, you ever think about that? Like, I think about it all the time. Every little bump, I'm like, boy, I hope this pilot knows what he's doing. And people always come to me and say, well, Brad, don't you know that, that like flying is the safest mode of transportation? You're more likely to get in a car wreck than you are in a plane crash. And I, I get that argument, but get my argument that when you get in a car wreck, you don't fall 50,000 feet out of the sky. <laughs> I mean, I think about it. Have you ever just had your car, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden it just, just stops? I remember we were going to North Carolina one time with my family, and all of a sudden our van just Chevy van just stops in the middle of the mountains. I mean, that's great. We didn't, we didn't fall 50,000 feet out of the sky, but that's my biggest fear. And so I have to admit to you that, that I hate flying, and I think I hate flying because I have a fear of it. But I was thinking about why, Brad. Why do you have a fear of flying? And I think my fear of flying is this, is that... Uh, have a sense and need of control, that I've got to be in control of the situation. I have controlled deprivation when I get on a plane, and, and, and allowing and, and asserting trust in somebody that I've never met in my life is difficult for me. And so you might say that for me, a flying is not a peaceful event, because fear begins to drive, because I'm no longer in control, fear enters my life, and I mean, truly... Truly, fear is a privation of peace. And so I begin to think about this week that, that we, from the onset of life, are taught to control our circumstances, right? I mean, think about this. The phone. I don't have my phone this morning with me, but I think about the, the cell phone. You have all these apps, applications, applications that you apply to your life. And what I find so interesting about apps is most of them are designed for you to better control your own life. That... Now you don't have to go to a computer, you don't have to go to get your email, you don't have to have a paper calendar on the wall. All this is at the tip of your hands, but it's about controlling your time in your life. 
Many of us are given jobs in specific companies to do uh, specific things for the success of the company. You are given control of that. Some of us are given control of kids. It's called parenting. Now, this is a kind of a side note, but I was thinking the other day that that we require people to take a 25-question test to get a license to drive a 3,000-pound vehicle. And yet we don't give anybody a test to have as many kids as they want. I mean, there are some of us, let's just be real, there are some of us who just not be parents at all. I don't know how else to say it. But either way, you are given control of your parents or of your kids. You're in control of parenting. We're We're in control of our own money. Each week, you get a paycheck, and you get to do whatever you want with that paycheck, whether it's responsible or not. I don't know, but that is your responsibility. You have control of that. But I think for many of us, it's the moment that we are no longer in control that we begin to fear. And that peace is no longer part of our lives. And so this morning, I think that's what this story that Luke gives us on Palm Sunday is about. It's maybe a different take on uh, Palm Sunday for you, but that's where I'm going. And I've got 15 minutes to finish up a 40-minute sermon, so pray with me. (laughs) But I've been thinking about Luke. Luke wants to talk to us about control today. And and just a, a quick rehash, just so you're up to date with us, that Luke writes to Theophilus, which we believe is a Roman official, but it's also about a broader audience, those who love God. And Luke spent much of his time with the Apostle Paul on this missionary journey. The Apostle Paul, who was the Christian killer, former Christian killer turned Christian. He spent a lot of time with him discovering about the life of Jesus. There was a lot of misinformation about Jesus' life. And so Luke sets out to set the story straight. But but one of the things, and I want you to hear this this morning, I, try, I know I've repeated that over the weeks, but that's really for the people who are new to the book of Luke. I, I want you to hear this this morning, that that Luke intends to connect Jesus with Adam. That's kind of a theme within Luke's writing, that Jesus is connected directly to Adam, which Luke wants to remind us of Jesus' humanity. Now, that's important to the story today. I have a theory this morning, and it's just a theory because the commentaries were terrible this week. But uh, so when I talk about stretches, I, I call them stretches because I couldn't find any scholarship to agree with what I have to say. So, it's my own scholarship this week. Whew, it's a dangerous road. (laughs) So this morning, I'd like for you to stand with me and turn to Luke 19 as we read God's Word. If you're able to stand, stand. If not, stand in your heart. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them, and they were untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying my colt? They replied, replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus their cloaks, they threw their cloaks on the cold and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the, near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heaven 
and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, you can keep them quiet, but the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept and said, If you even had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Here comes the judgment. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within the walls. They will not leave one stone unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So this morning, as I said, I have a, I have a theory. Uh, as I begin to read through the Scripture this week, I read it over and over, and I, I just pray, God, speak to me Your Word. Tell me, what is it that, that needs to be pointed out here? And so I begin to, to read through, and, and immediately what stuck out is these words, the Lord needs it. Now think about this word need with me for just a moment. Need means that it is essential to life, that we can't do without it, that that it is necessary for growth and success. And some people believe that, that a need is, is, is necessary for a course of action. Sorry, every time I hear that, I just have to dance. <laughs> uh, it's necessary for a course of action. <laughs> and so I love, immediately we see that Jesus has a need for a cult. Now hear this, the way that Jesus uses the word is, is interesting. The way that he uses cult is interesting because it seems to signify that, that the immediate object, the cult, uh, of the action which is needed is the intended result, which means this, that, that the cult is the ultimate goal of what Jesus is trying to portray about the kingdom of God. That in the cult is Jesus. And so we see that Jesus has a need, as we said, the cult, in, in the, this time represented humility and peace. Many of us know this, that the, the cult represented humility and peace. And so Jesus from the very get-go says, uh, I have a need for peace. Now here's my stretch this week. Some of you may not like it, but it's okay to be wrong. It's it's, it's okay. Uh, here, here's my thought, that... That in the beginning of Lent, when we see Jesus, we are in 40 days, there is this 40-day wilderness where Jesus is tempted. And one of the temptations that Jesus is faced with is that he has the opportunity to become king the way that every king has always become king, through violence and through power. This is the temptation for Jesus. And so I think in many ways we... We recognize the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, but then we come out of that. And as he begins to do these miracles, we like to focus on the divinity of Jesus, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we forget the humanity, as Luke wants to point out again. And here is the human part of Jesus that I think we tend to forget during his time of ministry. I think we forget that Jesus was continually tempted. Now, here's my definition of temptation. Temptation is the desire to fulfill our own selfishness. Temptation is the desire to fulfill our own selfishness. 
For those of you taking notes, that's a good line. You should write that down. For those of you not taking notes, maybe you should take notes. Temptation is the desire to fulfill our own selfishness. So I begin to think about Jesus and this temptation that he faces. Listen, he was looking at it. He had to be looking at the contemporaries of his day, the kings of his day. Kings were always known for being tall and handsome and, and well-built. They were extremely witty, and they, had, they were even-tempered. But, but they were also skilled in the arts of weaponry. And so I, I, I think that in many ways Jesus might have been tempted by this. He looked at Caesar. Caesar would ride into cities on this white horse, and along with him he'd have dignitaries and soldiers and weapons. It was this massive display of force. And so I think Jesus... As he begins to see this, there's got to be the, the temptation inside of him to say, I have been given the power of Almighty God. I could wipe these Romans away with one finger. I could easily succumb to the violence that has is, that is entrapped the world in creation. And so when Jesus says, the Lord needs it, This is a moment that God, Jesus, is overcoming his own selfish desires. I think in many ways, Jesus wanted to control on his own his destiny. You don't believe me? Think about the prayer he prays in the garden. Lord, take this from me. You think he wanted to do this? And so when Jesus says, I have a need, a need for peace, a need for a donkey, he is submitting to his Father's will. He's saying yes to the journey that God has given him. And he has given up his own selfish desires. Now, I know some of you think that's a stretch, but, but I think that if God is human, just like we are human, we face daily temptation to fulfill our own selfish desires. Why would Jesus be any different? The only difference is, is that he doesn't give in to them. We do daily. So I want, I want you to imagine the scene with me for just one minute. I call, I call Palm Sunday the, the triumphal entry of infamy. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one that finds that funny. Uh, and here's why I call it that. Think about the absurdity that, that, that's going on here. Jesus is riding a, 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 a little donkey that's not even probably a year old. I guess Jesus probably weighs more than the donkey himself. His feet are dragging on the ground. And the losers and the, the common people, the folks that didn't have money, I mean, the people that nobody wanted to be around, are laying their nasty cloaks on the ground and over this little colt for Jesus to walk on. It's kind of an embarrassing moment. But I love what it says in God's Word, and that is this, that... Listen to the descriptor that he gives about the donkey. I want you to pick the one that no one has ever ridden. Do you hear this? I want you to ride what no I want to ride what no one has ever ridden. Now, I did a quick Google search. <laughs> Not that that's accurate, but I did a quick Google search to, to find out how many kings and rulers throughout Earth's history have ever rode in on a donkey. There's a lot of dudes that rode in on a white horse. 
I mean, you can go to any city in the world today and you're sure to find some dude on a horse. But there are many people and statues of people riding donkeys. And so listen to what Zacharias says to us this morning. I love this. He says, he says, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. I will take away the, listen to this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to all nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I think, I think Jesus is riding what no one has ever ridden because Jesus is about to do what no one has ever done. Offer Himself as a sacrificial peace offering for the salvation of the world. This is a revolutionary idea that a king would conquer the powers that be by peace. And so this, this donkey that no one has ever ridden becomes a subversive, revolutionary response to the selfish desire of influence and power. Pick up the story with me in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the world. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now hear this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. So I have a question this morning about the Pharisees. Early in the story, it talks about that, that the people following Jesus were a crowd of disciples. Now, interestingly, if you move down later in the Scriptures, and you begin to see that the Pharisees are part of that crowd. So I have a few questions here when it comes to them. The first is this. Are the Pharisees followers of Jesus? Secondly, if they are, then what might that say about... God's people trying to control God's own people. Thirdly, what might that say about God's people trying to control a God who is on the move? You see, you have to understand, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that the, the Pharisees were not priests and pastors. These were lay people who were extremely religious. But they were also the voices between the common people and the principalities and powers. And so they were kind of the median. And so for them, watching Jesus come in, this, this crazy scene that's happening, for them is a loss of control. See, once again, it's all about control, and now they're fearful. Jesus, will you tell your disciples to shut up? Here's the problem, that, that we have a relationship to keep with you know, the people in charge. And if we're seen with you, then we may actually be seen as people who are welcoming a new kind of king. And we're not so sure that we're ready to do that. You see, they were so focused and fearful of the powers that be that they had no idea how to welcome a king of peace. And so they tell Jesus, let's just stop this right now. 
Tell your disciples to be quiet and let's move on. But I love what Jesus says. You can shut their mouths, but the earth will cry out. Even the stones will talk about the glory of Jesus, which is is the next thought that I have, is that when the kingdom, when the inbreaking kingdom of God makes its move on earth, crazy things begin to happen. We're we're not excited about the kingdom of God this morning. (laughs) Apparently he's boring us, I don't know, but... But I think about peace, and I think about God's shalom, and I think about salvation that has been offered to the whole world. I think about lives that are changed because of what He is doing, that, that people are, are made new, and they have a sense of what God has created them to be. But my fear is this, is that we, as God's people, have voices We have structures, politics, and people who keep us from announcing that God is king. Y'all with me on this? That in our lives, daily, we as God's people have the responsibility to share the good news that there is a God out there that can restore and change your life. But daily, we are oppressed by systems and politics, and people who want to shut you up. So my question for you this week as you begin to process this is, who is it, what is it that keeps you from announcing God as king? I suppose I have some other questions today. I have lots of questions. I'm always, I don't know, that's just where I am. We're all asking questions. My question this morning is, do we really know? Do we really know what will bring peace? Jesus says, you, you have no idea what makes for peace. You know, I've, I've shared my story with many of you that coming out of my military experience, I dealt with what I would call racism. Other people wouldn't call it that, but I would call it racism. I was talking with Janelle last night, and I began to, to talk with her about this struggle for me. At the heart of my racism was fear. Think about this. It was about fear and control. I'm trying to control of people who threaten my well-being. And in that, I remember as, as I began to discover who God was, all of a sudden, Fear came over me because I began to lose control of trying to control people. God helped me see that these aren't your enemies. These are my people too. And you are called to love them. But but I think I would have said back in the day when when I was full of hatred and anger and racism that, that I was a Christian. That I know what makes for peace. But I learned quickly that that my peace was a worldly peace. That my peace was about my safety and my freedom and my my well-being. And so I think in many ways this is the problem for God's people today. It was the God's it was the problem for God's people back then. Now hear this. We know what happens in the story. 
Jesus goes into town and five days, he's, five days later he's killed. Six days later he's killed. The people said, you know what, Jesus, you didn't come the way we thought you were supposed to come. Here you come in, making a scene, riding on a donkey, looking like a goofball. You talk about overthrowing Rome, and yet you're talking about peace. There's no way that's ever going to happen. So let us take control of the situation. Let us take all this stuff we just said back, and let us choose the right Jesus. Oh, they did. They chose Jesus. Oh, we'll we'll choose Jesus the revolutionary. We'll choose Jesus the murderer. We'll choose Jesus Barabbas. Y'all remember, this is Barabbas' first name. Jesus. And so that's the question. What Jesus are we going to choose this day? You know, I think we have big butts in the church. We do. We're full of big butts. And here's what I mean. Uh, We say that we're followers of Christ, but, but... when it comes to actually doing what he's called us to do, some of us are a little bit hesitant. I love when I have conversations with people and I say, well, this is what Jesus has said to us. You need to forgive somebody that that has really wronged you. I know Jesus says that, but... But I just can't, Pastor, you know. Uh, Man, I'm just saying, we've got a lot of big butts in here. So the question I have this morning is, are you going to welcome the King of Peace this day? Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to know. I've got to close this up. Holy moly. I think that we don't know peace because we haven't learned to trust the Prince of Peace. We don't know peace because we haven't learned to trust the Prince of Peace. You see, peace is a relinquish of prideful power and control. Peace is a surrender of our own selfishness. Peace is a stillness and a Sabbath. Peace is about saying, God, you are God and I am not. This is the struggle that I deal with daily, that I want to control what happens in the church. Not necessarily what goes on in the church, but... When things don't go as we expect or anticipate or we don't have the amount of people that we want to have, there's disappointment. And you feel like, oh man, it's my fault and I can't control what's happening. But then as I told you last week, I sit back and I'd say, well, he's God and I am not. And so for us today, peace is about saying this, that God, you are in charge. You are king. So I'll close with this, this story from Janelle. I'm, man, it's hard trying to fit 40 minutes into 20. Last night I was talking with Janelle. I said, you know, peace is such a hard word to describe to people. It's extremely difficult to convey what God is trying to tell us. And so she said to me, she said, so, well, you know, I, I remember when you were deployed. I remember you were in overseas. I hadn't talked to you for months. I didn't know where you were. She said, I would see scenes of, of bombings that would happen on TV, and I would always be worried. And, and she admits that during that time, she fell into a time of depression. Here she had college students around her talking about who they're going to go on a date with to the dance, and, you know, meanwhile, we're dealing with the real world situations here. But she talks about the depression that she faced. And she talks about one night, there are very few times that she talks about God speaking in her life, but she talks about one night where she walks out into the night, and she begins to vent to God. 
Now, she expressed her anger with him. Why is this happening? Which I'm sure all of us have said at some point. But she says, she says, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was something within my soul that said, rest in me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not a fearful person. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am not in control. Turn to your neighbor and exclaim that Jesus is king. That's right. Jesus is king. So this morning, rest in the peace of knowing that he is control and you are not. This morning, some of y'all need to surrender that. Some of you need to surrender Surrender your family lives. Surrender your church life. We are not in control of this church. Surrender your your political life. That no president will ever bring peace. Did you know that in the span of our history, in 240 years of our existence as a country, 200 and, uh, what was it? Nearly 230 of them have been in war. 90 plus percent of our lifespan in the United States has been in war. So this morning we surrender that no no president of any country will ever bring about peace on this earth. Go today and announce that he is king of our lives and of this world. Let me pray. Will you stand with me as I pray? Lord, this morning we lift our hands to the sky in a posture of submission to say to you, Lord, we are, we are sorry. Lord, we are not in charge. Lord, forgive us for looking to all the wrong people and powers. Lord, forgive us for, for living under our own oppression. Forgive us for allowing people to speak down on us. Forgive us for being violent. Lord, this morning, make us instruments of your peace. Make us instruments of your love to all the world. May your grace and your love invade our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please continue with me in prayer as we close. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, 
It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Take it off and...